I was in this town, Manali, and wasn't even there for 10 hours when I woke up to a man in my room and I was robbed. All my, all my stuff, um, my laptop, my books, my clothing, my phone, everything. But he left my credit card and my passport and me completely untouched. And I woke up and I had my mala beside me and I had be chanting the Shiva mantra nonstop like a crazy woman under the guidance of my guru who had looked at my chart and said, take this on. And it felt like I was watching a movie because I knew this, it was this like very subtle, almost play that needed to play out in order to like have that karma escape me. And then, you know, then I got in a cab with this hash smoking man from Manali who drove me 15 hours straight back to Rishikesh. And I had the most amazing month of my life doing this extra course with my teacher and proved to be the most kind of life-changing, beautiful, growing, expanding experiences I've ever had. Your life is designed to work out. When my next guest said this to me during a personal reading, something shifted. I think for the first time ever, I experienced what it feels like to have faith, to believe something without questioning it. Dahlia Gensher is a Vedic astrologist, Sattva yoga teacher, and holistic kinesiologist. She's also basically a fairy angel light, bright, expressed, and at ease. Many of you know that I'm a Vedic meditator and beautifully, this has made you more curious about the technique and also the different bodies of knowledge that come alongside it. So today, we're going to explore one of them on a deeper level, Vedic astrology. I'll leave it to Dahlia to explain the basics of Vedic astrology but I thought it might be helpful to know now that it predates Western astrology and it also has a different calculation system. So if you get your birth chart read by a Vedic astrologist, the reading will be different to the one you get from a Western astrologist. And honestly, I think this is the beauty of exploring how spirituality shows up for us as individuals. The more we explore, the more we are exposed to. I continue to learn that there is no destination. There's no need to choose sides or to only believe one thing. Our only role is to receive the knowledge on offer to us and use it to propel our evolution. I've learned that spiritual exploration is about listening and feeling, appreciating and reflecting, experiencing and embodying. On experiencing, I'm also excited to share that Dahlia and I announce a special collaboration during this episode. We've developed a 40-day group journey designed to move you into 2021 with intention, ease, and clarity. Enrollments open today, and given the personal nature of the journey, we have just 30 places available. You can learn more about it in this episode or visit getoffline.co forward slash study to enroll. 
Okay, here's Angel Dahlia and I for Offline. This one is juicy. So we're going to have an honest conversation about lots of different things, but Mm. with a focus on purpose, direction, and how we move into intentional action, which is designed to act as, I guess, some useful background to the offering we've just launched. Mm. Yes. Um, So I want to start by saying thank you for being here, but also thank you for collaborating with me. Oh, such a treat for me, really. So we know each other through um, Bondo Meditation, I guess, is where we really connected. And then, you know, when I saw your chart, um, it's so funny, and I guess we'll go into all of this, but when I saw your chart, the resonance of you like comes through and I was just like oh my god this is like mother energy like it just felt so nice to be around you and your energy and um I was just like holy shit this woman's incredible yeah so it's so so beautiful to come full circle and do this together well I feel exactly the same about you Mm. it's kind of like you have this um Little fairy energy. Do you get that a lot? Do you get told that a lot? <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes I get fairy and sometimes people are like, you're 26. Like you're like an old woman. <laughs> are you only 26? Yeah. I'm like nearly a full yeah. decade older than you. I was going to say all my friends are like 40. It's quite funny. Mm. <laughs> so mm. we should start with you on sure. that. Um I think it would obviously be very useful for you to explain mm. a little bit about you and what it is that you teach because you teach a few different things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's so funny. I heard my granny trying to explain to a friend what oh, I was doing. That's so beautiful. <laughs> the other day. She's like, oh, something in India. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am a Vedic astrologer. Um, or in Sanskrit, it's a uh, Jyotish, and Jyotish translates to the science of light. Um, and it's a really, really beautiful ancient system. Um, from the Veda, you know, just like we have our meditation practice, just like there's Ayurveda, just like there's Asana and and, and Hatha, physical yoga. This is another one of those sort of limbs. Yeah, and it's um it's a consciousness tool. And so I feel like I have the privilege of being taught this knowledge and getting to work with that um and sharing it with other people and then um kind of hand in hand with that because because all these sort of yoga sciences, you know, these sciences of unity really um, go hand in hand. They're so interdependent. Part of the Jyotish is to then actually give people practices. Um, so beyond the astrological kind of reading, well, then what are you going to do to actually shift something in your life? How, how is it actually going to be relevant for you beyond just this one hour that we share together? You know, how can you really access that light in the chat that I'm privy to? 
Um, and that's where kind of some of the other teachings that I teach come in, like the pranayama, the breath practices, um, mantra based practices, and um, a, a lot of the kind of Vedantic um, rituals and and um, techniques that we use. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which yeah. has been, as you know, life changing for me. Yes. You gave me my first mantra in, it's like October, November last year. Yeah. And it was right when, yeah, yeah, and you read my chart. It was right when I was conceiving self study Mm. and how I would kind of evolve offline. And you remember, I had a lot of limiting Mm. beliefs around. I love that you use the word conceiving, though, because Mm. in your chart, I remember going, "She's so fertile." (laughs) (laughs) In some ways, yeah, yeah, and I um. I remember taking on that mantra practice mm. and it was the Jupiter mantra. Yeah. And it was 40 days, four times a day. Mm. And I remember thinking in the beginning, there's no fucking way I'm going to be able to do this. Like how am I going to fit this in to yeah. my day on top of yeah. my twice daily meditation or this work I'm doing? But I literally went in to a hole for 40 days. I didn't see anyone. I barely really spoke very deeply with Tony. It was very mm. internal for me. I almost found it like a bit of a trance. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's very that much. Especially that four rhythmic. times. Yeah. And I would walk up and down the sand in Bondi <laughs> chanting, <laughs> holding the, you know, yeah. my mala or Caroline's mala, yeah. which I still have. Um, and when I reflect on it, it was actually one of the most exquisite times of my life. Oh, my God. And it was so mm. soft mm. and peaceful. And I remember I texted you after and I said, I'm sad. It's over. <laughs> I finished. And, like, yeah. what do I do now? Because I, yes, it's almost like it gave me a lot of purpose mm. in a way. But, of course, I went on to you know, build the next part of my business and, mm. you know, using all of that Jupiter energy yeah. to help me kind of, I guess, yeah, birth it. And and that's kind of one of the beautiful things with these practices. It's not like you need to do it and then keep doing it for the rest of your life. You do it and and in that process, it shifts something that is then a permanent change. Mm. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'm not, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I feel hesitant giving someone a a practice because it's like, I know it requires commitment, but in the same, you know, vein, like you're coming to me for a reading. The whole purpose of it is to liberate yourself in one way or another. Yeah. To evolve the whole primary intention of Vedic astrology is the is what we consider in the Vedantic teachings, the purpose of life, celebration and liberation. Mm. Yeah. So that's, you know, that should be the expectation of a reading. That should be the expectation of taking on the practice. But, you know, yoga works, no doubt about it, but you have to do it. Mm-hmm. You have to show up. And, you know, your testament to once you dive into it, A, how good it feels, but B, the result. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I feel like we should 
also talk about the difference between yeah. Vedic astrology and Western astrology. Maybe start by explaining. I feel like if if you were to explain the origins mm. of Vedic astrology, yeah. sure, that becomes very telling as to why this, I guess the way I'm thinking about it is it's more of the the um the practice in its original form yeah before it got westernized and i love that because you know my teacher when he was teaching us this you know it's a very sacred um science and it's kind of even in india even in its origin it it has become over the years a little bit almost, you know, fear-based, almost a little bit like, you know, a lot. you meet someone on the street in Rishikesh and they're like, oh my God, you have this in this house, you know, you're going to die from a snake bite. It's become like this kind of warped interpretation of the traditional texts, you know. Um, and when he was giving us this knowledge, he said, you know, I really believe that in passing this on, we can reinvigorate or, or come back to the truth of what this science was intended for. And, you know, that's that primary purpose that I spoke about, the celebration and, and liberation mm-hmm. um, of the self, of the individual, of the soul. And so, you know, I, I feel that that is the kind of number one difference, the intention you know, that's interesting because I hadn't, I was thinking about it. That's so interesting. Mm. I was thinking about it more practically. Yeah. Of the origins, you know, yeah. how, but actually, <laughs> yeah, that's quite beautiful. Well, you know, in, in the kind of um, practical sense, it dates back to the Vedas. So, you know, we, we, we still don't know the original date of these texts. Um, passed down by the sages, um, but at least 8,000 years old, you mm. know, way um, predating any sort of Western astrological system. However, we have a slightly different calculation as well. So with, um, <clears throat> am I right in thinking that, not to generalize it, but Western astrology seems to be very focused on picking a personality trait, whereas Vedic astrology seems to me to be more practical in the sense that it's kind of gives us a conscious pathway. Yes. Yes. It's it's a it's consciousness about, tool. Exactly. Versus yeah. Western that feels a little bit more like I am this and I am this, whereas yeah. Vedic is like here's what the chart says mm. is going to happen. Yes. And here's where you, the direction you need to move yes. in. How do you break your karma? My guru um, had a prediction that he was going to die at 27. And he ran with that karma. He knew that it's all just this energy spectrum. And if you're, you know, this is this is where the practice really comes in. If you're not enlivening it or or working with that particular energy, then it's dense, it's gross, and it will manifest on the gross level. Mm. You know, that's where we see someone having an accident when they're in their Mars kind of cycle. Or we see, um, you know, um, chaos 
and and kind of drugs and partying and all this kind of stuff in in the north node timing but if you're really refining then that energy manifests on a much more subtle level and then you know that accident turns into the other spectrum which is devotion mm. you know and so he he took that and he's the you know perfect case of how you can shift it do you mean transcend karma yes change karma you know when we are bound um by karma and we move into dharma which is unbounded action the karma or the residue that we've shifted and and burnt still has to leave our body right but it happens in a much more subtle, um, harmless kind of way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Does that kind of make sense? No, that sense? makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on a personal level, I obviously had some fucked up karma last year that took me into the mountains of um, India by myself, I was trying to prove something, and um, I was I was in this town, Manali, and wasn't even there for ten hours when I woke up to a man in my room, and I was robbed. All my all my stuff, um, my laptop, my books, my Dalia. clothing, my phone, everything. Um, but he left my credit card and my passport and me completely untouched and I woke up and I had my mala beside me and I had be chanting the shiva mantra non-stop like a crazy woman under the guidance of my guru who had looked at my chart and said take this on and it felt like I was watching a movie because I knew this it was this like very subtle, almost play that needed to play out mm. in order to like have that karma escape me. And then, you know, then I got in a cab with this hash smoking man <laughs> from Manali who drove me 15 hours straight back to Rishikesh. And I had the most amazing month of my life doing this extra course with my teacher and proved to be the most kind of life-changing, beautiful, growing, expanding experiences I've ever had. But the karma still had to leave. Mm. But the, the shift... So it needed yes, an act. Yes, it, it need- needed something. But the mm. difference between me maybe being harmed in that and then the other end of the spectrum, me being under, you know, the guidance and love of my teacher in his beautiful center is the two ends of the spectrum Mm. that the karma could have manifested on. And what's so interesting about this is because of your state of consciousness, you're not really interested in how it played out. It's not about what happened. It's about the escaping of it. Yes. It felt like magic. Where we would normally then attach to that story of I got robbed in India. And oh that- my God. I was like, fuck yeah. What a blessing that nature just played out like this for me. Yes. Which not many people, I mean, and this is, 
I mean, I was a little bit nervous to sleep alone. Yeah. For, <laughs> a little, little for bit of a little PTSD. Oh, my goodness. But, like, I find it hard to articulate um, what this kind of self-work is all about. Mm. And that's, like, one example You have of, to dive in to know it. Yeah. And you have to go in. I had a um, I was coaching someone yesterday yeah. and we had this very conversation is, you know, there's no point in you resisting because you know you've got to go there. Yeah. But you go there knowing that it's probably going to be one of the most difficult or liberating mm. experiences of your life and can we be brave enough to step in? Yes. Or are we just going <clears> to <throat> stay in this pattern of resistance where? Nature loves courage. Mm. Can you define mm. karma yeah. from the Vedic view? Because, yes. again, that's very different to how yes. we talk about karma yeah. in a Western world. Um, so karma is not good or bad. There's no, there's, there's no good or bad karma. Karma just means action we are bound to. So, you know, I put the toast in the oven the action that is bound to happen is, oh, the toast becomes toasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's action and reaction. If I am, you know, this is where good, bad karma comes from because if I sort of am stingy, right, that stinginess, oh, you can even feel how binding stinginess is. It's closed off and it binds you to receive stinginess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So karma is just reaping the fruit of our action. Yeah. And it's binding. Yeah. So in some way, it's action that limits us from growing. And we get kind of in this cycle of the ever repeating known. Mm-hmm. Karma, not good or bad. It's just simply the reaction to any actions you've taken. Yeah. Um, Do we get mm. an awareness of our karma from the chart? Yeah. 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 You can, you know, you can sort of understand sometimes when people have mystery illnesses or, you know, these wonderful gifts um, or even the way they interact or, or members of their family, the, these things can come through. Mm-hmm. Um, but in being able to see that, we have the opportunity to evolve behind beyond it. And I guess that's then what Dharma. That was is. my exact next question. Yeah. Is define or describe Dharma to mm. us because I've heard it, you know, through different um, teachers with Vedic knowledge that you can kind of loosely transcribe it to or translate it to purpose, but Mm. then I feel like... It's so much richer. Right, and our Western obsession with purpose... Yes, yes. ...is very linked to oftentimes career Mm. as well. So unpack those two things for us because I think they kind of sit parallel, Mm. but they're not the same thing. Totally. Um, So dharma is threefold, yeah, just like the translation of Kriya, Kri is the Sanskrit for action. Yeah. Um, so that that karma action. Um, and then the Dharma 
is unbounded action. Action that um, is free of any binding. Yeah. Um, And by binding you mean attachments? Yes. um, I mean the kind of outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. The certainty of that, you know, um, reflected outcome. Yeah. Um, so Dharma is this beautiful threefold concept. Yeah. Everywhere in the Veda, everywhere in the universe, there's this concept of the trilogy or the Trinity. Yeah. Um, and Dharma is no different. Dharma is where we want to move towards. Dharma is evolution. And the first step of Dharma is the establishment in a centered, unified state of being. The very first step of Dharma, before we take any action, before we are anything, we bring ourselves into the state where we actually know what Dharma is. Mm -hmm. Right action. Yeah. So before you can take any action, you need to be established in what right action is. Yeah. From there. How do we do that? Well, this is our meditation practice. This is our meditation. Right. This Which is, establishes us in being. Yes. Right. Completely. That, you know, twice daily dive in establishes you, familiarizes you, yeah, yeah, in like, you know, invigorates, imbues you with this state of being and things like our daily sadhana our daily practice which we'll talk about a little bit (laughs) um all those sort of practices you know working with your chart that's what kind of brings you to be established in being yes okay good that's helpful for everyone to know primary if you are not in that state i don't know why you're worrying about what you're gonna be because if you're not there, whatever you try be is going to be out of alignment. Mm-hmm. It's like wanting to eat your dinner before you've put it in the oven. It's it's like yeah. counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, and it's a beautiful process when you go, oh, let me like mm. pull back my tentacles into myself. Stop and- searching. Stop yes. antagonizing. Stop interrogating. Mm. And just return to self and that is where it starts. Yeah, Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. You know, the universe creates from a still center. Mm. We have to be still. And once we're still, step two of Dharma comes in. And this is Dharma in the moment-to-moment experiences of our life. Every single moment will demand the most appropriate, correct, dharmic action from you. And that will change. You know, one day you might have a conversation with Tony and it's dharmic to be very compassionate with him, listen to him, hold space, you know, this kind of thing. Two weeks later, say he's still complaining about the same thing. (laughs) It might not be dharmic, as in it might not be supporting his evolution to, to, I don't know why I'm throwing time under the bus. But I get but that to like. To coddle co- him. Exactly. It yeah. might be dharmic for you to, you know, put down the gauntlet and yeah. be fierce. Yeah. That might be the most correct action in that time. And so when you say correct action, my interpretation of that mm. is 
the most evolutionary thing to do yes. in the moment. Yes. Yeah. What is the action you can take that will unbind you? Right. So if you were, you know, compassionate and, you know, coddling him again, where does that leave you in that same cycle? Mm. If you then shift, boom, something else opens up in this space for evolution. Yeah. 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 It feels better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can only perceive what that right action is if you have done the first step. Yeah. Um, and then this moment to moment dharma after we've established our self and being and we kind of walk through our life with this greater awareness and um, kind of witnessing capacity and, and mastery over our reaction, um, then that's what the third tier of dharma is, which is the overarching sort of song that our soul wants to sing. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's where it gets confused. With that's where the purpose career and comes purpose. in. What is this overarching ultimate thing I meant to do in this life? Well, your life is not one moment. Mm. Your life is the collection of all of these dharmic moments one at a time. Mm. Yeah. So that third final tier of dharma can only be achieved and realized and understood once the first two are, are really um, practiced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even is it right in saying in that third stage, mm. it isn't one word or one thing? No. It's this constant evolution. Yes, dharma is not still. Yeah, it's right. It's not static. We it's, don't arrive at dharma and be yes. like, tick, dharma. It's dynamic because if, you know, if I look at someone's chart, of course we can speak about career. You know, I, I can fully see what someone is meant to be doing. My friend who's about to, you know, do her doula course. Like, geez, she has Jupiter and Moon in the exalted in the tenth house of her house of career. I'm like, yes, bring babies into the world. Um, we can talk to that. Mm. But if I tell you that, what then? It's is it just like your life is on pause until you are the doula and then you carry on. No, how do you think you got this? You know, mm. these steps, these moments. And and it's also no fun if you just jump to that. Like, where were you your whole life then? You know, that's unconscious. That's yeah. where this search for purpose comes from, is because people are waiting for that one thing and all the rest of the moments are so empty. And so they miss out on actually the point and the purpose of it all. And the juice. Yeah. The rasa. Mm. Rasa. Rasa. Yeah. It sounds like what is it? <laughs> it's the juice of life. Oh, this is so good. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is a nice time for me to say, mm. you know, I'm 70 something episodes in. I've come to learn that there's episodes that are for me. Yeah. <laughs> That I hope the audience will really enjoy um, and that will really expand. And there's episodes that are purely dedicated to them. And I'll say you because you're listening. Um, This is for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's darling. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, Okay. So this might be a nice time for us to talk about the tone and the quality of 2020. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of destruction. 
Yeah. And I thought it might be helpful for you to first talk to us about the role of destruction from the Vedic view. And then we can kind of get into how that sort of, I guess, manifesting yeah. itself in COVID and bushfires. And- yeah. So talk to us about, I guess, the concept of destruction and, and what role does it play? Yeah. So another sort of trinity. Yeah. The whole universe operates on three um, movements, or three, three operators. So there's the creation operator that which brings into life. There is the maintenance operator, which sustains life. And then there is destruction operator, which breaks down, clears the way for what more creation. Um, They are always all in play at all times. But when we have been in maintenance for too long, there can be a surge of destruction to then move us into creation. Yeah. Um, A new way of being, you know, maybe we've been acting karmically. We keep binding ourselves to the same thing. That's maintenance. Mm -hmm. So destruction comes in, shakes you up. Boom. Can you act dharmically and evolve beyond this? Um, Which we can see we're being asked to change the ways we have been living. You've been living the same way, hearing the same call, but doing the same thing. Mm. What are you still doing? We need to really shake shit up for Dharma to move in. Dharma can be synonymous with evolution. I'm just going to put the entire world on pause (laughs) while you all sit and reflect. (laughs) But also, like, this is the sadness is there's a lot of death. And it's like I, you know, have that understanding of, you know, the more – subtle layers of death, death of Mm. ideas, death of ideals, belief systems. I think what I've been finding hard to reconcile is it's real true death of life. Mm. And that, you know, I know it's not, there's no unfair or fair, Mm. but gosh, it's teaching us the lesson in Mm. the harshest way. How, how um, kind of, can I just go full Yeah, I reckon. Consciousness, cosmic on this. So there are, um, throughout history, throughout, you know, the existence of Earth, there are ages. Um, And they move in a cycle. So there's um, an ascending arc and a descending arc. And we kind of move between swinging up to this age of enlightenment and then descend down to this age of ignorance or age of darkness. And we keep doing that. We keep doing that. You know, that's how you see these ancient enlightened civilizations, but all we have is ruins. How did we make that jump? Why wouldn't we stay in enlightenment? Well, this is the beauty of creation because then it becomes stagnant. And that's not creative. That is not evolution. Mm. Um, Lucky for us, we are on an ascending arc in the history of consciousness. Good. It doesn't feel like it, but yes, I guess that's true. That that is the breaking down of the old ways. Um, And there's a little bit of debate in the Vedic community of what age we're in, to be exact. 
Um, and that's due to the fact that it was last calculated when we fell into the age of ignorance and the mm. age of darkness. Um, but it's plain to see that there is great leaps in consciousness happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a very, you know, it's a very kind of grand idea to understand. Um and you might need to suspend, you know, some of your beliefs to really um, get around it, I get guess. Get around it. Mm. Um, but essentially, when we move into these ages of enlightenment, if they're going to be enlightened stages, then the souls that incarnate there have to, in fact, be more enlightened. Otherwise, we would be in the same thing as these ages of ignorance. So, you know, from our studies in Jyotish, it's, we learn that it becomes less and less relevant to have such dense population in these ages of enlightenment. And I'm not saying that next week 50% of the world's population is gone. No. These are very slow, very long, thousands and thousands, thousands, thousand year long stages. But we start to move where into this idea of, you know, rise up mm. <laughs> or lose your relevancy. And I think this <clears throat> is, I don't know, I guess I just have this supreme empathy for people who have lost someone yeah. During COVID. Yeah. And how, I don't know if you have advice for this, like mm. how do they even begin to have any acceptance around that concept when it feels so deeply unfair, especially yeah. if they couldn't be with their loved one at the end. And mm. that's what I've actually been grappling with is for feeling on behalf of those people. Yeah. How do they even begin to connect to that you know this is kind of where someone's realization and state of being would really come into play you never get to a state where the loss of a loved one is not going to affect you emotionally Mm. um to be enlightened does not mean to be this kind of unemotional being Mm. um where everything's all good all the time yeah yeah. if how irrelevant would that be for you to be at a funeral cracking jokes Mm. that's who can relate to that that's not an enlightened act and you wouldn't genuinely feel that either um but the suffering that might ensue could be eliminated. Pain mm-hmm. always, there's always pain in the human life, but the binding, suffering, replaying of something. That's a choice. Yes. You know, we can love, we can miss, you know, we can really miss people. You know, sometimes we might even evoke their memory just to have that ah, sense of connection again, which is beautiful and honor that. But also we must not live as if death is not existent yeah Mm. um in terms of of the emotional kind of grappling with people who have lost loved ones and not being able to 
come in contact with them at their end. This is tragic, of course. Um, but this is the sort of timeline of whatever they are experiencing, mm. you know, in their life, of course. Um, d- you know, death will come upon us all. But this is what I have found mm. so comforting about yes. the Vedic view, which is mm. what I think I get a lot of comfort from it, if nothing oh, else, yeah. um, is this knowing that we drop our body mm. and the soul continues. And the soul lives on. And so the physicality <clears throat> goes, yeah. but that the essence of that spirit yeah. exists in all things, everywhere, all the time. Yes. And that's taken me a really long time to connect with. But this is one of those those things that we can't just teach it. If I tell you this mm. and you you just believe it without a visceral experience, it feels like blind faith. It feels like a trap because you're in conflict of your direct experience with this idea you've been told to have. You need to have that embodied experience to truly know what that is. Mm-hmm. If I told you before you started meditating, yeah, your soul continues and you're going to feel unbounded and you feel part of everything. You're going to be like, how the fuck do I get there? Mm. Yeah. You start meditating. Yeah. It happens on its own because that's the nature of things, but you need to directly practice. You Mm. need to have direct experience to actually not just believe it, know it. Embody it. Yeah. An embodiment of the knowledge. Yes. And through that lens, no experience is ever wrong. Yeah. It's just an experience that gives us the opportunity to experience the knowledge firsthand. Yes. Very hard when you're in an experience that feels completely fucked up. This is the time to, I guess, test Mm. or or, um, take stock of your state. Yeah. And sort of back to what the hell is 2020? Oh, yeah. That's where we were going. (laughs) You know, this is a time where there's permanent change happening. Yeah. Permanent on the level of what we consume, how we consume. Um, You know, this is not just a fad. There is wonderful, beautiful change happening. Mm. Um, as bleak and heartbreaking as some of the experiences have been, you see left, right, and center nature thriving. You know, how how kind of um, narrow-minded of us to think of the human species as the only aspect of nature. There are, mm. you know, we, we see so many aspects of nature absolutely thriving right now. But within that, humans are too. We're finding new ways that there's a deeper understanding of connection, a deeper understanding of living in tune with nature's cycles. It's, you know, we see that, yes, of course, there's major destruction, but creation is popping up left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. On a kind of um, astrological um, explanation of it all, we had in September, um, after months and months and months of chaos, eight out of the nine planets line up in their own house. So 
Yes. So every single planet other than Venus um, fell into its own house, which means a house that it governs, sorry, a sign, its own sign, a sign that it governs. For example, Jupiter rules um, Sagittarius and Pisces, so it's in Sag. And eight, you know, eight planets are doing that. Something like this has not happened in 500 years. Wow. Yeah, so in the Vedic world, we call this a Rashi. So when the stars align, quite literally, there's a heightened state of consciousness. But when we are going to be at an experience that demands a certain state of consciousness from us, we have to go through the experiences that will rise us up to that state. And this is what we call a Rashi. And 2020 has been a fucking massive Mm. Rashi. Yeah. And if you are you know, listening, you'll see the experiences are manifesting on that kind of subtle level that I mentioned earlier, kind of a heightened level. And, you know, if you're refusing, if you're, you know, kind of going against the flow, well, that's when it feels like you're pulling Mm. shit upstream. What does going against the flow look like? Is that like resisting, complaining? Resisting, um not taking the steps to look at the way you are living. Yeah. If if the whole world has to address the way they're living. You do. You do too. And and don't isolate yourself from that gift to be part of this, you know, this upgrade surge. Yes. Um and something like this is not going to happen for another 2000 years. So it's like prime time. We need to use this. There is Massive manifestation energy. At this point, you might be wondering how. How do we use this manifestation energy? And if not this particular quality of energy, then how do we work with the energy that is currently present in our individual birth charts? Well, one way is to devote time each day to a spiritual practice like Japa. At its most basic, japa is the daily repetition of a mantra around a mala. Malas are meditation beads. You might have actually seen mine on Instagram. As you'll soon hear me share, my own japa practice, guided by Dahlia, has been one of the most rewarding and evolutionary bits of self-work I've ever done. That's not to say it's always felt blissful or easy, But as with all explorations of self, it's always worth it. I actually launched Offline's learning platform self-study on the back of a 40-day japa. That's how powerful it can be. Now here's where I get excited. Many of you have told me you've been searching for a devotional practice that will spark real change in your life. And to meet this need... Dahlia and I are collaborating on a 40-day group japa journey. Our intention is to guide you into 2021 with intention, ease, and clarity. We'd love for you to consider joining us. We're about to talk more about it, but to give you an overview now, we designed this group journey for anyone who is ready to align to the energy and the insights held in their birth chart. 
So this is for anyone who wants to consciously evolve. And there's so much good stuff included. So each student will receive their own citrine gemstone mala delivered to their door. Citrine connects us to the qualities of joy, expansion, and creative abundance. They also have the most divine copper stamped pendant instead of a tassel. So you might like to wear yours as a necklace after the journey or during whatever you like. I also have to tell you that they're very special because they've been handmade in Rishikesh, India, and they've also been blessed in the Ganges River. Each student will also have a private session with Dahlia, where she'll analyze your birth chart and prescribe you a mantra based on what is most evolutionary for you in 2021 and beyond. So by reciting our personal mantra 108 times around our mala beads each day for 40 days, we experience the intention of the mantra. From experience, I can tell you it's a very internal and transformative time. We'll also meet virtually once a week as a group for seven weeks for knowledge sessions and guidance from Dahlia. The 40th day of our group journey falls on January 1, 2021. So we'll literally be starting the year with supreme intention, ease and clarity. I hope you can join us. We only have 30 spots, so feel free to continue listening to learn more or head over to getoffline.co forward slash study to enroll. So should we talk about our offering? Yeah, let's do it. Because I feel like this is all kind of leading up to the reason we decided to collaborate yeah. and to, I think, you know, part of where I know your intention is and mine as well mm. is to give people um, not only a community and connection mm. but a set of tools that will allow them to get into intentional action yes. versus yes. this feeling of displacement and whatever, what and am I doing? And that direct experience that we keep kind of coming back to. Exactly. Um so let's talk a little bit about what we're going to offer and why. Yeah. It's um, it's a 40-day sadna. Yeah. Is that how I yeah. talk about it? You talk about it better than yeah, me. Yeah, a 40-day <laughs> sadna um, that will be a joint collective practice that we all kind of share together as an intentional act. And this, we, we do 40 days together because 40 days is what it takes to unpattern and repattern a way of being. And we will do this all together with a Japa practice. Um, and Al, I'd love you to talk about your experience with Japa. Yeah. Um, but it's essentially the repetition of a mantra. And our offering is going to give every woman or individual a personal mantra based on what is most relevant for them in their chart. Mm -hmm. So just like whenever we do a chart reading, there's a personalized practice that we give someone to shift what, what is most beneficial for them. Everyone will receive, you know, a, an analysis of their chart in order to give them the most effective mantra. So everyone participating will take part in this 40-day practice, practicing their own personalized mantra. 
Yes, and we're going to, aside from having a session with you to get that chart analysis and receive the mantra, we're going to connect weekly Mm. on Zoom. It'll be digital where we'll kind of come together and discuss you know, what's coming up for us and we'll discuss the practice. You're also going to share some knowledge. Yes. So it's going to run for eight weeks and we've chosen now to take us into 2021 and I thought that was quite beautiful that let's close the year feeling as if we are actually intentional Mm. with how we're using our time and what we're doing versus kind of flop into the end of what has been you know, a really kind of difficult year for many people. So we'll start um, and we'll actually finish on the 1st of January, which is just, I'm so about that I'm going to be like chanting into the new year. (laughs) Midnight. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just over here with my mom. Exactly. Go away, Tony. (laughs) Um, But I'm going to um, share a lot about it obviously out on platforms and Instagram, my email list and your email list. And so all of the finer details um, will be communicated. But um, part of the purpose of this episode was to, I guess, get people inspired around this idea of taking up an intentional practice and I guess devotion to something at a time when we feel like we might need it. I think the the other- best way to fulfill that kind of void space you were talking about yeah fill it with something yes yeah. for yourself intentional yeah mm, and you know in um the vedic world there's a name for when we take intentional action mm. and it's called kriya oh mm. and kriya okay i've always actually never really gotten that and that's yes. just landed for me yes <laughs> this episode like is boing. for you <laughs> Kriya is frictionless action. Kriya is the bridge between karma and dharma. Mm. So when we're at that kind of crossroads, do I act in that old way? Or do I act in this evolutionary dharmic way? The action that you take is the kriya. The acting that breaks you from karma to dharma is kriya. And these mantras that we're going to give everyone, these these japa practices, these sadhanas, a daily ritual, a daily practice, is the kriya, the intentional action you can take to actually make a shift, to actually celebrate and liberate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to give everyone some context, I've shared a little bit about my kind of mala beads yeah. and stuff. <laughs> We have developed some of our own Mm. malas, um, which are very special. And so you actually recite the mantra around the mala. Yes. 108 times. But how many times a day will depend on your individual prescription, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it could be twice a day. It could be four times a day. What are the variations of that? Is there once a day? Um, There's no, oh, there's no once a day. Mm. There's no one today. I mean, you kind of have a certain amount of rounds within the 40 days. So then you kind of divide that up. I understand. Okay. Oh, I thought it was more specific to each day you have to do it this many times. Mm, That kind of just keeps you on track of it because what if one day you do one and then the next day you've got to catch up with six? And the last 24 hours you're just (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
You're like, yeah. So I have something to share with you that Mm. I didn't share with you before we started. Okay. You gave me a mantra about a week ago. Yeah. And I stopped doing it. Okay. And Ah. I want to talk briefly about that because I think this may come up for the people who join us. Yes. Yeah. And so I share this from a place of I am not exempt from resistance Mm. because I have studied this knowledge and, you know, successfully completed. It's funny you're saying this. Okay. Because you gave me a big fucking bopper. Yeah. And it hit my most wounded self. I gave you the maha mantra, the great mantra. Yeah. The victory over death, for God's sake. Yeah. So it's like, literally called Maha Jaya, the great victory over death. And so <laughs> a lot of listeners know my, yeah. some of my story around suffering PTSD through a very um, traumatic incident on Christmas day a few years ago which kind of spurred on what was already an underlying anxious mm. attachment to Tony and this kind of morbid fixation around yeah. um, losing people close to me, not being able to survive that and what would I do. And I got about four days into it mm. and I had, I mean, it could be the hormones, but I had, I think, what I'm not describing as an anxiety attack, mm. I had a release right? one evening that had me in bed at about 8 o'clock crying. Mm. So I was feeling it coming out. Yeah. But then I stopped because I got – It felt too much. It did actually. Mm. And I just thought what, what came up for me in the moment was you need this group. Mm just as much as these people need you and Dahlia and each other. And so I thought I will take up this particular one with everyone so that I am in community. Mm. And when that happens, if that happens again, I'm able to, you know, know, get the support. And you're not exempt. Um, I I have one particular mantra that I find fucking hard there's you know there's an aspect of my chart where there's one planet that is in a position where I have some karma around and there's a mantra for that particular planet oh my god I I had it felt like I had to force my brain waves through it Mm. I I actually did it but my guru was like, do it again. And I was like, Because it didn't no. like land. <laughs> no, just to strengthen it even more. Oh. Yeah. Um, because he, yeah, what I was talking about, he was like, Oh, do it again. That helps that from another point of view. Um, but it's like these mantras are energy waves. Yeah. The entire universe is on these frequencies. Everything is a frequency. So when we want something or when we want to align ourselves with something, it's like a radio station. We attune ourselves to that frequency, which is why the mantra works. But if there are vrittis or, um, you know, fluctuations in our consciousness or some scars, which is the deep scarring of on a soul level, well, then this mantra has to sort of like kind of unclog 
the pipes and push its way through, literally pushing its way through our neurophysiology. Mm. It's literally pulsating <laughs> through um, your, neuro- your neuropsychology, rewriting the way your brain even works. Mm. That mantra that you, that you had trouble with doing was the mantra that I was doing when I was robbed. Yeah. And I remember one day I was like lying on this bench in India and I could literally feel my brain rewiring. I could feel this twitching going on. And I was like, wow, there is big stuff moving. But yes, I had the support Mm -hmm. and I could, you know, turn to my teacher and say, fuck, this shit's coming up for me. Good. Keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, these are pure sounds of nature. There is no harm that can come from them. But if we don't have the awareness that the old kind of harmful ego thoughts are moving out, we might associate with them and think that's what we're experiencing when rather that's what's actually leaving Leaving. us. And we don't want to recycle those thoughts. Yeah. But we need to have the awareness. We need to have the support to know that's leaving us. Look, this is real massive life-changing shit yeah and that's why I wanted to share that story because you know part of um my own I think everybody's quote-unquote spiritual journey when you're truly on it you realize that it's not wholly fun all of the time no it's not beautiful and light and airy and joyous it's bumpy and hard and chunky and dense a lot of the time always worth it It's always worth it. But I wanted to share that to say you really have to want to change change. an evolution Mm. because you will get it from this. Yes. But I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. The Jupiter mantra, I was on cloud nine. It's fucking (laughs) Yeah, because Jupiter is the planet of abundance and ease and joy. It's fucking blissful. I I loved it. I totally fell in love doing Jupiter. Did you? Yes. Mm. I had like – Amazing stuff happened during Jupiter. <laughs> yeah. But this mm. one, and I knew I was meeting myself at my biggest yeah. thing. Mm. And I just yeah. was like, and Which I is why I gave it to you. To, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it's what's left for me. Yes. There's more, but it's my. No, it's your. It's your. It's the one I got to transcend, you know. Yeah. I couldn't remember the mantra. Yeah. And I knew that was some sort of resistance as well, where I was just blocking my own ability to memorize something. I was sitting there like for an hour, like rehearsing it. I love your dedication. Oh, seriously. You know me. I'm like yeah. perfectionist through and through. I couldn't get it. And then I only could listen to the song of it. Yeah. But I wanted to be able to do it myself because I found that was what was most transformative about the Jupiter mantra was it was me hearing yes. the sound come out of my own voice mm. and mouth Yeah, that had that resonance for me yes. versus hearing somebody else do it. Totally, because you need to be cultivating that vibration within yeah. yourself. And, you know, I gave you a full-on practice because, first of all, you you show up for the change. You know, yeah, you're I'm ready, ready for that yeah. huge shift. But also you have a very strong practice mm. and you were familiar with Japa and loved it. Yeah. You know, but we meet people where they're at mm. and there's so, there's so many sort of stages of mantra. They will all be profoundly effective um, 
but it will meet you kind of at your, you know, level. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, if someone's never sort of meditated before or taken on a japa practice before, well, then we'll give them something that meets that. Yeah. And that will have that effect. The first mantra I ever did, I did, I remember I did one Lakshmi, who's the goddess of abundance. I was doing that at nighttime, literally one a day for 30 days. And I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. And it had this outstanding permanent shift in my life. My like kind of lack consciousness. Oh my God, there's not enough. Shifted completely Mm. once a day, chanting this very simple mantra. Now, you know, once a day, uh, uh, Mm. I'm like, oh. Doesn't even touch the sides. You know, it's like, it's almost like when you're meditating and then you take drugs and you don't really feel them be as amazing anymore, Mm. you know? So you need it kind of crank up the dose or you become not immune to it. But everything works for you where you are at. Yeah. And so that's good context for anyone who, yeah, may feel that nervousness around change is that it's not going to ever be anything that you're not ready for, your soul's not ready for. And if you're, you know, if you're listening to this. Yeah. You're bloody ready. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't come into contact with that kind of knowledge if you weren't. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the last mm. two things. Um, yeah. I want to briefly talk about 2021. So yeah. part of our offering will be we'll be guiding people into 2021 with intention and clarity. Yeah. And upgrading of yeah. you and, know their you state know, of consciousness. When 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 they would come for their chart beautiful to have an intention yeah if there's something specific that you want to cultivate for the new year or if there, you know there's this feeling of kind of being lost where where do I move then we can look at the chart and see what what is nature trying to get you to move towards yes. at this time so you know whether you have a clear intention or whether you're <laughs> hoping to receive an intention it works for both for both yeah yeah yeah. What can we expect, mm. I guess, from an astrological perspective for 2021 or at least the first half? Like what are we entering into? Because I think people are looking for an end date to COVID. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what do you foresee us experiencing? The sort of threshold that happened in September was kind of the opening you know, the ascending out of that. Um, We can expect a lot more return to nature. We can expect our food industries and the way we consume to change. We can expect media to change. Um, We can expect the way we spend our time to change. Yes, we can expect things to open back up, travel and, um, you know, community gatherings. But it's so subtle. It's so funny. It's this like mass kind of worldwide shift. But the changes are are very personal. On an individual level, we'll feel it more than a macro well, the macro will be the result yeah. of all these individual changes, but you will feel a shift in the way you are wanting to participate in the world. 
Mm. Yeah, there's a greater consciousness, which all that means is there's a greater awareness for our neighbors, for the processes behind things. Um, And then not just sort of a passive awareness, but one that naturally feels inclined to shift. Mm. So at the end of every episode, I ask each of my guests a final question. Yeah. And I've had Matt Ringrose on the podcast. I've had Dylan Smith on the podcast. I think they're my only two. Vedic junkies. Vedic junkies. So you're my third. So this is my favorite question. Another trinity. (laughs) Another trinity. (laughs) I love asking you guys this question Mm. because your interpretation of it is always really beautiful. (laughs) I didn't think you should be. Um, Offline exists as an exploration of true self. Yeah. And it started um, as this sort of journey to understanding who are we when we don't put a label on ourselves and we don't get Mm. off on our email signature and how many Instagram followers we have, these personas. So when you're sitting in your true self Mm. without all of that, who are you and what comes up for you when I ask that question? Um, My favourite quote in the world comes up. Um, And Hanuman, for those who know, is the most sort of devotional character or or, um, divine being in the Vedic texts. And he is the devotee of Lord Rama, who is the sun god. Um, And he's sort of the central character of this tale, the Ramayana. And all of his devotion is to Lord Rama. And at at the end of the Ramayana, he says, um, Hanuman says to Lord Rama, when I don't know who I am, I serve you. When I know who I am, I am you. And yeah. This has got the big goosebumps. It it cracks your heart wide open. Mm. Um, And... Yeah, to me, that is pure love. That that identity with the greatest thing you could ever love as yourself, that that in it in the purest form is true self. That ultimate state of love. Yeah. fist in the air (laughs) um i absolutely adore you i love you and wow that was just like a knowledge session for me you know and i hope everyone got a lot out of that we'll be sharing extensively yes across both of our kind of communities for our offering um so stay tuned for that. But of course, you know, DM me. Yeah. DM you. Yeah. With any, any questions. questions. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a lot of knowledge, but you don't need to be. Uh, no. You don't need to have a we didn't masters actually. in Vedic, Vedic scripture 
to participate. No, you don't even need to be a meditator. No, no. Yeah. You just you just have to be You have to want evolution. In your heart wanting yeah. change. Yeah. That's yeah. who this is for. And if you're scared, fuck yeah. Yeah. That's when it, you know it's time. And you've got us. <laughs> yes. And the community. And the community. Um, thank you. Oh my god, pleasure. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. If you're interested in joining Dahlia and I for our 40-day group Jaffa journey, enroll now at getoffline.co forward slash study.